0: Good morning, welcome again to Morning Devotions. And we begin another week of lockdown. Who would have ever dreamed in our lifetimes that we would be locked in our houses with our children 24 hours a day? I mean, who would have dreamed in our lifetime? Now, I say that to say this. Some of you have been saying, oh, I just wish I had more time to be at home with my children, okay? You got your heart's desire. Now enjoy it in Jesus' name. Don't don't get frustrated with the kids. Enjoy the family, enjoy the kids. Father, we come to you today in Jesus' name. We are grateful for all that you have done for us. And sometimes, Lord, you make us lie down in green pastures. Sometimes you make us take a rest all over the world right now. Everybody has been laid down in green pastures. Everybody has to rest a little bit. Father, let this be a time of joy. Let this be a time of family bonding, of making memories. Let this be a time of enjoying the families that you've given us. Father, whatever has been problems, whatever has caused frustrations, just let it just be washed away by the love of God. Just let the peace of God come into every home And Father, let our families enjoy each other, in Jesus' name, amen. Let me begin to read to you today from Psalms 91. I'm going to read to you today the New Living Bible. Now, you've often heard me say, ever since the NIV changed their translation and went more the gender-neutral thing in 2011, I stopped preaching out of the NIV. I started preaching out of the NIV as soon as it was released, and we encouraged the publishing companies to, to make it available for us here in the Philippines, and it was a very easy translation for us and a good translation. But then they changed it in 2011, and I just said, now, folks, let's get away from that. I'm not looking for gender-neutral. I'm looking for biblical accuracy. So I told you, let's use the ESV for our exposition because it is the best word-for-word translation. But I also told you that the NLT, the New Living Translation, is a really good translation to read from. Now the NLT is different than the ESV. ESV is a literal word for word translation. So it's very easy to study, it's very easy to pull the Greek and Hebrew. The NLT is different. It's a thought for thought translation. And it's made that way to make it easy to read. They designed this translation for readability, especially to be read publicly. So when you read the NLT publicly, you find it's a very easy, easy read. Psalms 91, beginning with verse one, New Living Translation. Those who live in the shelter of the Most High will find rest in the shadow of the Almighty. This I declare about the Lord. He is my God and I trust him, for he will rescue you from every trap and protect you from the deadly disease. He will cover you with his feathers and shelter you with his wings. His faithful promises are your armor and protection. Do not be afraid of the terror of the night or the arrow that flies in the day. Do not dread the disease that stalks in darkness or, nor the disaster that strikes at midday. Though a thousand fall at your side, though 10,000 are dying around you, no evil shall touch you. Just open your eyes and see how the wicked are punished. If you make the Lord your refuge, if you make the most high your shelter, no evil will conquer you. No plague will come near your home for he will order his angels to protect you wherever you go. Hear that first responders? Hear that frontliners, To protect you wherever you go. They will hold you up with their hands so that you will not even hurt, hurt your foot on a stone. You will trample upon lions and copers. You will crush fierce lions and serpents under your feet. The Lord says, "I will rescue those who love me. I will protect those who trust in my name. When they call on me, I will answer, I will be with them in trouble. I will rescue and honor them. I will reward them with long life and give them my salvation." Father. We thank you for your great and precious promises. Father, we thank you that faithful as he was promised. We thank you, Father, that in the midst of all of this, there's no fear within our hearts. We know that you watch over us. We know that you protect us. We know, Father, that you keep that deadly disease, that deadly coronavirus from our homes. We know that you are our God. Now, Lord, in Jesus' name, I pray for all the frontliners, the doctors, the nurses, the policemen, the security guards, the military men. There are people out there, Lord, that are working very, very hard right now while we're just sitting at home relaxing. Father, we ask in Jesus' name, keep your hand upon them, Lord. Especially for all of our Christian doctors and nurses and med techs and frontliners. Lord, let people see the difference. Let the people see no fear within their hearts because they know that the angels have been given charge concerning them to protect them in all their ways. Keep your hand upon them. And Father, this day in every home, just let your presence fill every home right now. Let your presence be upon every family. And Father, let there be no fear of the future. Father, (laughs) we're not worried about uncertainty. Uncertainty is not our future. A harvest is our future. And we believe that, Father, because we believe in you. Now, Lord, receive our worship as we come to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand up, lift up our hearts upon our hands, and worship him. As we go into this second week, I want to remind you that the first week was, okay, this was a novelty. This week, things may get a little bit more tense around the home, thus all of my time praying for your families. But let me just encourage you, you can eliminate 99% of that. And number one, just learn to have routine. Kids need routine. Now, last week, they felt like we have escaped from school and escape from routine, and we got mom and dad all to ourselves. But now you've got to get some routine back in. Kids need routine, and those of us who are adults need routine. So get a schedule laid out, and include in that schedule you know, quiet times, okay? But let me just throw some things that you, you can do today. Now, there's some music that I love to listen to. One is Sinach, N-I, or S-I-N-A-C-H, Sinach. She's from Africa. And especially her album, Great God, Live in London. I just love that album. Another is William McDowell. Now, all of his albums on Revival 1, Revival 2 are great. But his his third album called The Cry, it's two hours long it's a Holy Ghost revival meeting combined with worship combined with a healing crusade I mean it's just it's two hours of wonderful so you'll greatly enjoy that download an audio Bible again I recommend NLT just for listening around the house but just download an NLT Bible listen to it online and just you know fill your home with the Word of God now there's another thing I'd recommend for years I've studied online with um, iTunes University. It's free, I mean it's free, it's it's by iTunes, it's by Apple. And they've got lots of like Stanford, Oxford, Yale, I mean Fuller, you, if you wanna study theology the Fuller is there, F-U-L-L-E-R. But th- there's, there's lots of stuff out there. Now there's a nonprofit group called the Khan Academy, K-H-A-N, you can get it on iTunes or you can just go straight in, just Google it, Khan, K-H-A-N Academy. It does everything from preschool through university, through higher education, MBA, uh, business entrepreneurship training. You say, Pastor, why do you keep pushing this? Because folks, we we should not just look upon this as waste of time. We don't waste our life. The Bible teaches us to number our days. The Bible teaches us to redeem the time for the days are evil. So rather than just sit around vegetating like, like a flower Let's redeem the time. Let's accomplish something during this time. Let's study. Let's plan. Let's work on our spiritual lives. Let's work on our businesses and our careers. Let let's do some strategic planning and things for when this is over. We're ready to to jump on this and get moving as quickly as possible to be first in line of things. But let let's let's redeem the time. Let's not just let days go by and and nothing gets done. And you know, we're just kind of existing. God didn't put us on this earth to exist. So let's let's keep our lives moving forward. All right. Enough sermonizing. Let me read the scripture to you this morning. Luke chapter 7, beginning with verse 36. One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him. Now that was nice. Jesus received a dinner invitation. So I wrote in the column next to my Bible a dinner invitation ask him to eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and took his place at the table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment and standing behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with tears and wipe them with the hair of her head and kiss his feet and anointed him with ointment. Now, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answered and said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, say it, teacher. Now, let me just back up here for a minute. Here's my first question. If this was such an awful woman How did she get in the Pharisee's house? Now that's one of my questions I have in the little margin of my Bible. If she's such an awful woman and everybody knows who she is, how did she get access into his house? She had to come through the door like everybody else. She had to be allowed in like everybody else. Why did the servants of the Pharisees? why did they let her in? Was she someone who came over on a regular basis? Speculation. But again, my first question is, how did this woman get in and into the dining room? If she is such an awful woman, how did she have such access? So forgive my speculation there for a minute, but you you only learn when you ask questions. And so sometimes my questions are silly and foolish, But sometimes my questions, I might discover the answer to 10 years from now, but I make a little question mark in my Bible and write my little question. Now, there's several things I want you to notice here. Jesus is reclining at table in the Pharisee's house. Now, we have to set the stage for this so that you think that there's nothing dirty happening here. When they ate at a table, they didn't eat at tables like we eat at today, sitting in a chair like this. They reclined. Uh, The table was low, about this far off the floor, and you reclined, you had pillows around you and pillows under your arm. You kind of leaned on your, if you were right-handed, you leaned on your left elbow and took your food with your right hand like this, okay? So the table would have been here, and then you just leaned forward. This is why John the Beloved leaned back on Jesus's chest. Judas was at Jesus's back. So they reclined at table. Now, that means his feet were stuck out in the middle of, you know, the walkway. So it's not like this woman got underneath the table and things were not looking very polite and very nice. Brought, she brought an alabaster flask of ointment. Now, alabaster means this was very expensive. And standing behind him at his feet. So she's not under the table. She's Jesus is laid out long ways, reclined at table, and she's at the back, along with everybody else's feet. Everybody's feet are back there together. Weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and she wiped them with the hair of her head and she kissed his feet and anointed them with ointment. I'm gonna come back to this in just a little bit. Now, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, he's thinking to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answering said to him, so his name was Simon. Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, say it, teacher. A certain moneylender had two debtors, one owed a 100 denarii and the other 50. When he could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one, I suppose, from whom he canceled the larger debt. And he answered him, You have judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Now, I want you just to back up and notice a few things. Jesus received a dinner invitation from a man who did not care about him. It was common custom in that day that when you entered a person's house, the lowest slave, remember all of our teaching on Jesus washing feet, the lowest slave, it was the job of the lowest slave to take water and wash people's feet. Jesus said, after a man's had a bath, you only need to wash his feet. Because after walking through the streets with, you know, there's no sanitation, there's no no sewage, everything just goes out into the, the street, the dogs, the horses, the camels, the humans throw their buckets out there. It's nasty out there. So people walk through that all day long in their sandals. So it's all over their skin, it's all over their feet. So when you enter the home, Your feet were washed so that you did not bring the filth into the home. And your feet were washed as a sign of respect and service. And it's common in Jesus' day to greet someone with a kiss. To this day, I have friends in Israel that when they see me, they want to kiss me on both cheeks, and it's usually kind of slobbery and wet. I have one friend there named George, he runs uh, the Wood Place. Whenever he sees me, he takes my hat hand, in both hands, leans my head over, and puts a big wet one right here at the top of my head. And I just go, "Ah!" Oh. It's very common to greet people with a kiss there in the Middle East. And Jesus said, "No, wait a minute! You invited me to dinner. You didn't wash my feet. You didn't greet me with a kiss. You didn't anoint my head with oil. You, you did nothing for me. You, you." You gave no sign of love to me. You gave no sign of respect to me. So again, the question begs to be asked, why did this man invite Jesus for a meal in his home? One of the things you learn in life is that there are people who are looking for prestige. And Jesus was a big deal at this time. He was a big name. So this Pharisee invited Jesus to his home for dinner but he didn't care about Jesus. He didn't show any love. He didn't give any love. He didn't give any respect to Jesus. So he looks at the guy and he says, now, you know what, you gave nothing to me. I came to your home, you gave nothing to me. You did nothing for me. This was your dinner party and you didn't even show love and respect for me as your guest he said but now this woman now again how did this woman get in the house i have no idea but jesus said from the time i have entered from the time i entered from the time i came in she has not ceased to kiss my feet he said hey, from the time i got here This woman has showed love to me. From the time I entered, this woman has has shown respect for me. You you didn't care about my, my condition, but this woman cared about me. She washed my feet. She anointed my feet with oil. She washed them with her own tears. You gave her no water to wash my feet, so she washed my feet with her tears. You wonder, why was she weeping? Because she saw Jesus wasn't being taken care of. She saw the disrespect that Jesus was receiving. And he said, now listen, who loves much? Well, the one who's been forgiven more. You know, sometimes, and please don't take what I'm about to say and stretch it like a rubber band for a truth to become an untruth. But young people, sometimes those of you that have grown up in church, I get worried about Now, Sister Beth always gets upset with me when I talk like this. She grew up in church and she loves Jesus with everything in her, okay? But sometimes I watch young people growing up in church and, you know, they've always been okay. Now, they don't understand how badly they need salvation sometimes because church kids need to get born again too. Growing up in church doesn't make you a Christian. But sometimes young people, when you came out of the world, and this is one of my big problems sometimes with pastors today. I got saved. My life was, ah, uh, I got saved. And I'm just so happy to be saved. I got forgiven much. Kaya, I love much. Now, again, if you take this truth and stretch it, you'll make it an untruth. Because in all reality, my friends, I don't care that we grew up in church and you were always a perfect little wonderful person. (laughs) We've all been forgiven much. Sometimes maybe because you've grown up in church, you think that your life is all wonderful, but forgive me in the eyes of God, our righteousness is but filthy rags. We've all been forgiven much. We should love much. But I I looked at this story and I'm absolutely amazed, I'm absolutely amazed. He said, therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much, but he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? (laughs) He said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Now, just park on that for a minute your faith how was her faith expressed oh now there's a lot of stuff in this story i don't get but this one this one i really like her faith was expressed by love she demonstrated faith by expressions of love See, there's a lot of people that run around and say, you know, we we show our our faith by our works and faith without works is dead. And all of that is very, very true. But they always want to act as if that demonstration of faith was a seed that you sowed or a physical act that you did or something that you went and did. Sometimes you need to understand the demonstration of your faith is love. (laughs) This woman demonstrated her faith in Jesus by her love for Jesus. Oh, just let that one sink into your hearts for a few minutes. Jesus said this woman demonstrated her faith in him by the love that she showed for him. Now, that is absolutely an amazing truth. Now, one last thing I want you to see in this passage, because it's just one story, and you kind of got to get the whole thing before you can come back and bring out some other things. Simon, the Pharisee, said, if this man were a true prophet, he would know what kind of woman this was. <laughs> now, First of all, Simon, who are you to judge what makes a prophet, what doesn't make a prophet? Okay, I mean, where in the Bible does it say a prophet knows the heart of every person? So, you know, we've got some assumptions that are being made here that are not fair assumptions. And oftentimes people, they want to judge things based on their opinions. And and this was his opinion. But now notice, Jesus was a true prophet. And what did a prophet bring? A prophet brought forgiveness of sins. (laughs) Oh, this this is good stuff. Oh, I better get moving now would you come back with me now to Deuteronomy? This is just what I do with my Bible in the morning. I just, every morning, I just enjoy my Bible. I just enjoy reading the word of God. And now again, you know, sometimes you ask a lot of questions and things you go, I just don't, don't get that. Say, pastor, do you always find the answers? No, (laughs) no, I don't. Some things, if I still care when I get to heaven, I'll ask Jesus. But brothers and sisters, learning requires questions. So as you read, ask questions. Now, let's open our Bibles back to Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy chapter 6. Moses is speaking to the people of Israel. Now, this is the commandment that states the statutes and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you. Now, I want you to notice five that's. Now, whenever you see so that or that in your Bible, you need to circle it because it shows purpose. Let me say that again. A that or so that shows purpose. This was the reason something is done. Now, there are five that's in these first three verses. Now, let's read them together and notice them. Now, this is the commandment, the statutes and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you that you may do them in the land to which you are going over to possess it, that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's son, by keeping all his statutes and his commands which I command you all the days of your life, and that your days may be long. Hear therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them, that it may go well with you, and that you may multiply greatly as the lord the god of your fathers has promised you in the land flowing with milk and honey now just notice that see we we always act like the old testament laws were given to control the people of israel or they're just some kind of a, a legal set of, of rules for the people of israel and we, you couldn't be couldn't be farther wrong when people try to break it up and say, oh, this is just a little dispensational set of laws just for the Jewish people. No, Jew and Gentile who lived there were expected to live by these rules. But now, the purpose of these rules, in fact, Jesus said anybody who, Jesus said, I did not come to remove or destroy the law. I came to fulfill the law. So maybe you need to look a little deeper into rather than just separating the Bible and say, okay, we don't have to pay attention to this because you do need to pay attention to it. The purpose of these laws was not just to lead us to Christ, as Paul said in Romans. The purpose of these laws was completely about the people of Israel's quality of life. God never gave the people of Israel a rule to benefit himself. God never gave the people of Israel a law that would somehow benefit him. Every single law that we see in the Mosaic law was for a group of people who have been slaves for generations to learn how to live a life that would bring benefit to them. Now you you look at these, the that's here. He said that you can go into the land, that you may respect God, that your days may be long, that it may go well with you, that you might may multiply greatly. It's all about their quality of life and their, their relationship with God. Now for instance you look at the sanitation laws how they when they put when they camped in the wilderness they had sanitation laws that they were to live by now those sanitation laws forgive me were to keep plague and disease away from them god didn't just say sickness and disease will be far from your household god taught them how to live in a way that cholera and dysentery and these diseases wouldn't be among them because their sanitation was taken care of outside of the camp, not among the people where they lived. God taught them foods not to eat. For instance, they don't eat shrimp like we do. They don't eat pigs. They don't eat any animal that consumes garbage or dead bodies. They don't eat anything like that because that's how diseases are carried. See, a pig will eat anything. Pigs are very unhealthy. You have to always be careful how you cook pork. Now, Jesus declared all foods clean, so please put things in context. You have to be careful how you cook pork because if you don't, you get trichinosis, you get all kinds of diseases. You raise pigs next to birds and you get bird flu because pigs are very close in physiology to the human body. Now God knows how he made creation. He, he created scavengers to to clean up the earth, all right? But he said, I don't want you to eat the scavengers because that's how disease is spread. You look at every one of the laws of God and there's a logical reason that benefits the people of God. So maybe change your attitudes towards some of these Old Testament laws just a little bit. Verse four, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Shema, O Israel. It's everywhere you go in Israel, you hear this. The Lord our God is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. Now, that's one of the commandments of God. Has God said that's only for the Jew? Has God said that's only uh, for the ancient Jews and not for us today? No, Jesus is very clear. That was the greatest commandment in Mark 12, verses 28 to 30. I make that little note in my Bible. Here is a commandment. Here is a commandment of God. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. Now, he said, listen, when I teach you things, I want them in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and you shall talk about them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise down. This is what I call normal life teaching. Parents, this is how we teach our children. Have you ever noticed kids don't like being sermonized? <laughs> you sit down and start sermonizing, and you're, you watch your kids' eyes go blank and they're someplace else. Now, when I was a kid, I did this to my dad, too. Every morning, we had breakfast in our house at 5.30 in the morning. It didn't matter if you got home from work at 4 o'clock. You were expected at breakfast at 5.30. Now, we almost never ate dinner together, but breakfast, we always ate together. That was our meal, 5.30 every morning. And after we finished breakfast, dad would philosophize for a while and talk about things. And, you know, till the day my dad died, we teased him about his philosophizing. But have you ever noticed how much I quote my dad? Yeah. Evidently, I was paying attention and I was listening. And he taught me and I learned a great deal. Now, parents, the the way you get things into your kids is not by sitting down and saying, I'm going to preach you a sermon now. Like I'm the pastor of this house and I'm going to preach you a sermon now. I let the pastor do the preaching. But at home, the way you teach them, you teach them diligently. When you're sitting around the house, you talk about things. When you walk down the street, you talk about things. When you lie down in the bed and everybody's laying there pretending to be asleep and the kids are giggling, you talk about things. When you get up, You talk about things. You're just always talking about things. You're always taking biblical truth and applying it to their lives. That's how you teach them to think biblically. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Now, again, some of modern Jews, maybe they've taken this a little too literally and a little too strongly. Uh, but if you go with us to Israel, you see that when you go down to the western wall, you go into a synagogue, men literally wrap these super tight cords, pa penitencia right, around their arms, and they've got this the the scripture on their hand, and they wrap this thing around the head with a little black box right in the center. Uh, yeah, And you know then everywhere one of the great souvenirs we bring back from Israel are the mezuzahs, which is a little case and you put scriptures uh, on the outside of your door. Um, It's it's a beautiful gift. We bring them back for presents for people, put scriptures in them, stick them on the door. But the people of Israel were to constantly remember the word of God. And when the Lord your God brings you into the land that he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac and Jacob to give you with great and good cities that you did not build and houses full of good things that you did not fill and cisterns you did not dig and vineyards and olive trees you did not dig. When you eat and are full, then take care. Here's one of God's warnings. Then take care lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Now, whenever you see a warning in the Bible, write Caution or warning in the margin of your Bible. Most Christians just blow over the warnings and because of that, one day they get themselves in trouble. You need to learn, you know what? I just noticed something. Be right back. My daughter always tells me to turn that off because otherwise it looks like I have a white hat on my head. So sorry about that. Welcome to live television. Whenever you see warning in your Bible, always write it in your Bible. Caution, warning. He said, now listen, there's a caution. When you enter into all the blessings that I'm giving you, he said, don't forget me. It's very easy, brothers and sisters, when you have nothing to not forget God because every day you're asking God, put food on your table. Every day you're asking God for healing because you don't have money for doctors. I remember those days that we lived through here in the Philippines. People didn't go to the hospital because there was no money. You know, every day we believe God. I can remember when I started teaching you about daily seed years ago, like the woman. Every day you, you set aside a little seed for God's provision for your family. Daily seed. Folks, you look across our land right now. We are blessed. I mean, <laughs> I can look up my window right now and I can see farther than I think I have ever seen in my life across the city. There's no smog because there's no cars. A friend sent me a video of Edsa the other day. Completely. Empty. A dog can sleep in the middle of Edsa. Completely. Going into Makati. I'm not talking about someplace far away. I'm talking about going into Makati, right there by the old Hotel Nico. God has been good to us. Brothers and sisters, when you look around at all that God has given you, the big flat screen TV sets that you're watching this on, the refrigerators. I remember when almost nobody in our church had a refrigerator. (laughs) God's been good to us. Maybe walk around the house today look at all that God has given you and give thanks and make a decision. I will never forget the Lord. Verse 13, it is the Lord your God you shall fear and you shall serve and by his name you shall swear. You shall not go after other gods, the gods of the peoples who are around you. For the Lord your God is in your midst, and he's a jealous God. Lest the anger of the Lord your God is kindled against you, and he will destroy you from off the face of the earth. Now, notice that warning. God said, listen, I'm not jealous of the stuff I've given you, but I am jealous of your heart going to other gods, because these aren't gods. These are just demons. He said, so yeah, I'm jealous of that. I'm not jealous of the stuff I've given you, but I don't want your heart going after demons. You shall not put the Lord your God to the test, Jesus quotes that of the temptation, as you tested him at Massah. You shall diligently keep the commandments of the Lord your God and of his testimonies and statutes which he commanded you. You shall do what is right and good in the sight of the Lord, that it may go well with you and that you may go in and take possession of the good land the Lord swore to give your father's by thrusting out all your enemies before you as the Lord has promised." Now notice again, the purpose of obedience. The purpose of obedience is not to break your spirit and make you subject to God. The purpose of obedience is um, that it may go well with you. The purpose of obedience is that you can go in and receive the promises, because in order to receive the promises, forgive me, it has to come from somebody else. Now, now, you and I often don't think about that. For you to receive a promotion, you are receiving something rather than somebody else. For you to receive a house and lot is for you to have something that somebody else is now not going to have. For you to receive those promises, God said, you need to walk in obedience. There are decisions that are being made. Verse 20, when your son asks you in time to come, What is the meaning of the testimony and the statutes and the rules that the Lord our God has commanded you? Then you shall say to your son, we were Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt. He said, hey, let's never forget where you came from. Never be embarrassed by it, but never forget. And the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. And the Lord showed signs and wonders great and grievous against Egypt and against Pharaoh and against all his household before our eyes. And he brought us out of there that he might bring us in and give us the land he swore to give to our fathers. Now, there's a huge truth there. He brings us out to bring us in. He never brings us out to just leave us wandering aimlessly with nothing. He brings us out to bring us in. Now, sometimes he brings you out of a company to bring you into a new company. He brings you out of one career to bring you into a new career. He brings you out of one business to bring you into a new business. But please, never think that God brings you out and then just says, ah, I'm done. Forget it. Leave it alone. God brings us out to bring us in. Verse 24. And the Lord commanded us to do all these statutes to fear the Lord our God. For all, for all good always, for our good always. He said, Now listen, you obey and you respect God for your good. You obey and you respect God for your good, that He might preserve us alive as we are this day. And it will be righteousness for us if we are careful to do all this commandment before the Lord our God as He commanded us. Chapter 7, verse 1. When the Lord your God, brings you into the land that you are entering to take possession of it, and clears away many nations before you. Notice, forgive me, it has to be taken away from somebody to be given to you. Now, now again, we don't like that, but Jesus taught the same thing in the parable of the talents. Take it away from the guy who has one and give it to the guy who has 10. The Hittites, the Gershonites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Pezzarites, the Hibbites, the Jebusites, seven nations more numerous and mightier than yourselves. And when the Lord your God gives them over to you and you defeat them, then you must devote them to complete destruction. You shall make no covenant with them and show no mercy to them. You shall not intermarry with them, giving your daughters to their sons or taking their daughters for your sons, for they would turn away your sons from following me to serve other gods. Now notice, folks, never, never, never think it's the other way around. God never says you marry with them to convert them. God says, when you get married, they turn your heart away. Now, again, let me just bring this out. In the New Covenant, we're taught that we do not intermarry with those who are unbelievers. Young people, you should not let your heart go after an unbeliever. Don't let your heart go in that direction. Because once your heart gets mogulot, it's difficult to withdraw. So don't even let your heart go in that direction. Well, I'll get them saved. It doesn't work like that. They always pull you away to other gods. Then the anger of the Lord will be kindled against you and he will destroy you quickly. But thus shall you deal with them. You shall break down their altars and dash into pieces their pillars and chop down their asherim and burn their carved images with fire. For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession. God said, I don't want you to have any of that idolatry among you. He said, you're mine. And he said, you're not just mine. You're my treasured possession. You need to understand the value that God places on his people today, both Jew and Gentile. Treasured possession out of all the peoples who are in the face of the earth. It is not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you. For you were the fewest of all people. But it was because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers that he brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh of the Egypt, now king of Egypt. Now, why did God choose to bless you? Is it because you're so wonderful? Is it because you're so powerful? Is it because you're so smart? No, it's because he chose to set his love on you. You, you and I just have to understand this. <laughs> love is a beautiful thing. We don't love somebody because we love somebody because we've chosen to love them. Verse 9, know therefore that the Lord your God, the faithful God, who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. One of my favorite verses in the Bible. The greatest heritage we can leave our children is that we love God. Because when you love God, He will be faithful to a thousand generations of Jesus Terry's. Folks, there are people today that are still blessed because of the love the King David had for them. It hasn't been a thousand generations. God is still showing love. God is still showing love to people because of the love Abraham had for him. Ah, us all of us love God in Jesus' name. Verse 10, and repays to their face those who hate him by destroying him. And he will not be slack with the one who hates him. He will repay him to his face. Now, that, that's something that you need to get a hold of. God does act confrontationally. God doesn't go around and do things secretly. God repays to their face. Now there is, is nothing worse than people today who do things behind the back. God is not a behind the back God. People have a problem with God. God goes against them face to face. Verse 11, You shall therefore be careful to do the commandment and the statutes and the rules that I command you today. And because you listen to these rules and keep and do them, the Lord your God will keep you, will keep with you the covenant and the steadfast love he swore to your fathers he will love you and bless you and multiply you he will also bless the fruit of the womb and the fruit of the ground your grain and your wine and your oil excuse me the increase of your herds and the young of your flock in the land that the lord swore to your fathers to give you shall be blessed above all peoples <laughs> god said now listen if you'll just if you'll just obey you'll be blessed above all peoples there shall not be a male or female barren among you or among your livestock. And the Lord will take away from you all sickness and none of the evil diseases of Egypt, which you knew, will he inflict on you." Now notice, they knew these sicknesses and the diseases in Egypt, they knew them. Now, part of this commandment is it brings blessing, but part of this commandments are very logical. The sanitation laws, the water laws, the food laws, all of those things were part of fulfilling this See, sometimes we look upon this as, as all just a spiritual thing. If I do this, then spiritually all these things will happen. Well, sometimes God gave us these things because if we follow them, yeah, those sicknesses and diseases won't be a part of our life because we don't live that way anymore. Ah. Well, let me say that one more time. Sometimes we think all these blessings come just because it's a spiritual blessing of obedience, But a lot of these blessings come because of the practicality of the lifestyle that we live. For instance, if you are a traditional Tagalog, not Tagalog eater, and all you eat is pork and rice, okay? Just meat and rice, and you hate vegetables. you never saw a vegetable that you wanted, except maybe vitamin C called chocolate. Now, if you're a traditional old school Tagalog, Tagalog eater and you scoff at your friends who are Ilocano eaters because they love vegetables. Well, you know, when you hit about 55 years old and your arteries look, you know, <laughs> like they're major plugged and you have to go through surgery and everything, but your Ilocano friends, their arteries are in great shape because they didn't eat pork fat three times a day. They ate vegetables. Okay, now you begin to understand how you live your life, how you eat, affects your long-term health. In the same way, many of these commandments of God are things that bring long-term health benefits. So, again, I'm, all I'm trying to do is destroy this idea that all of this just spiritually happens because you obey these things. Many of these things are God just teaching the people how to live and eat Properly. Verse 15. And the Lord shall take away from you all sickness and none of the evil diseases which you knew. They used to have, these used to be a part of their life. Which you knew will he inflict on you. But he will lay them on all those who hate you. And you shall consume all the peoples that the Lord your God will give over to you. Your eyes shall not pity them, neither shall you serve their gods. For that would be a snare to you. If you say in your heart, these nations are greater than I how can I dispossess them now notice everybody gets afraid sometimes Moses said if you say in your heart if you if you're talking to yourself and saying I can't do this remember that's where the people of Israel made their mistake at first if you're talking to yourself talking in your own heart saying these nations are greater than I how can I dispossess them he said this is how you deal with that you shall not be afraid of them but you shall remember what the Lord your God did to Pharaoh and to all Egypt The great trials that your eyes saw, the signs, the wonders, the mighty hand, and the outstretched arm by which the Lord your God brought you out, so will the Lord your God do to all the peoples of whom you are afraid. Now, just stop right there and learn an incredible truth. How do you deal with fear? Every one of us faces it. Anybody who says they've never been afraid is a liar. We've all been afraid. We've all looked at things God has asked us to do, and how can I do that? I can't. I don't have the ability. It's, it's, It's not possible. He said, now, if you start to get afraid and think like that, he said, talk to yourself. If you're already talking to yourself, talk back to yourself. Now, you've heard me teach you this before. The biggest problem with talking to yourself is not answering yourself because if you never answer yourself, you're not self-correcting. He says, so if you if you start talking to yourself saying, I can't do it, he said, sit down and answer yourself. Remember all the things God has done for you in the past. Remember all the provision. Remember all the blessing. Remember all the miracles. Remember all the answers to prayer. When you get ready to lay hands on somebody and they're in a wheelchair and you think, ah, this can't be done. Remind yourself of all the people that you've seen get up out of wheelchairs. When God has directed you to move into a new business venture and you have no capital and you say, I don't know how to do this, Lord, I can't do it. Remind yourself of everything you've done that you thought you couldn't do, but God helped you. That's how you deal with the fear of your heart. When you talk yourself into fear, remind yourself about God. Don't remind yourself of your abilities. Remind yourself about God. Verse 20, moreover the Lord your God will send hornets among them until those who are left and hide themselves from you are destroyed. You shall not be in dread of them for the Lord your God is in your midst, a great and awesome God. The Lord will clear away these nations from you little by little. You may not make an end of them at once lest the wild beasts grow too numerous for you. Now here's a great truth about entering into the promises of God. Sometimes God gives us a promise that's this big but he won't give it all to you at once. He gives it to you little by little by little by little. Why? Because you can't take care of it all at once. He said, if, if you drove everybody out, the wild animals would take over the whole country. Now, in, in this day, there were lions, there were tigers, there were, there, there were bobcats, there were bears, there were all of these things that were flourishing in that environment. Now, there, there's no wild animals much left now, but in those days, the wild animals proliferated across Israel. Now, if you understand that, then you understand when you start your business, you're gonna start it a little bit. By next year, you're gonna be bigger. The year after, you're gonna be bigger. The year after, you're gonna be bigger. God will give you the promise piece by piece as you can handle it. So never expect God to give you the whole big promise all at once. Expect God to give you what you can handle right now. And then as you handle that, and you get bigger and stronger, He gives you more. See, there's a spiritual element and there's a practical element to all miracles of provision. Just like roll away the stone and Jesus said, Lazarus come forth. Somebody had to roll away the stone. We do what we can do, God does what he can do. As you get stronger and you can do more, you'll see God do more. So please, the promises will be fulfilled little by little as you can handle it. Verse 22. The Lord your God will clear away these nations before you little by little. You may not make an end of them at once, lest the wild beasts grow too numerous for you. For the Lord your God will give them over to you, and you will throw them into great confusion. I like that. One of the ways God defeats our enemies is he brings confusion on them until they are destroyed. And he will give their kings into your hand, and he shall make their name perish from under heaven. No one shall be able to stand up against you until you have destroyed them the carved images of their gods, you shall burn with fire. You shall not covet the silver or the gold that is on them. Don't even, don't even take the value out of those things. You know, If it's been dedicated to a demon, you, you don't touch it. You shall not covet the silver or gold that is on those, these idols or take it for yourselves, lest you be ensnared by it. There's, there's a spiritual touch on that gold and that silver that's been used in these demon gods. For it is an abomination to the Lord your God. And you shall not bring an abominable thing into your house and become devoted to destruction like it. You shall utterly detest and abhor it, for it is devoted to destruction. No idols in your home. When you travel and you see some of these demon gods in other nations and they sell them as tourist things, you don't ever bring something like that into your home. It doesn't belong in the home of a child of God. You see, but... But if I throw it out, it's got diamonds in it, it's got rubies in it, forgive me. You just destroy it. Everything in that thing has been touched by demons. Demons inhabit idols. That means they inhabit the silver of the idol, the gold of the idol, the diamonds, the rubies of the idol. You destroy it all. There's a spiritual touch on that thing. These are ways that we keep demons away from us. All right, we had a good time teaching about a variety of things today. Father, I lift you again, our people. And Lord, I'm reminded of the frontliners that are having to work in the banks. There are many people right now that have to keep business moving and keep money moving. So not just for the medical frontliners and the military and the security frontliners, but for the banking frontliners. Father, keep your hand upon them today. Let no sickness, let no disease come near them. Let the angels of God stand round about them to guard them, that will guard them on their way. And Father, care for them. And Father, just let your presence fill every home. Jesus, walk among every home today and make your presence real to them. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. We'll see you tonight. And we're going to teach more about faithfulness, the faithful God.